Hello, I'm Matt Peterson. And I'm Rich Trapier. And this is episode 53 of History on the Table. Got a lot of things going on, buddy. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Pretty good. I feel like, so Rich and I had some like troubleshooting before we hit record tonight, which is like a first for us. Usually we're rip it and, and hit it, but oh well. Yeah, well, here. usually before you hit record, you tell me to turn off my fans and my AC, <laughs> right, 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 right. but right now it's like 40 degrees outside, so I don't have any fans running. <laughs> yeah, we had some sleet uh, right before the Chiefs game started today. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's cold out there, folks. Yeah. It's cold. It's fall, y'all. I like it. We got Halloween in a couple days. We do. I'm going to set Absolutely. up there, get the, uh, bring the fire pit around to the front yard and give candy to the kids. You know, I was going to do that too. I think it's just going to be way too cold. Uh, I'll, I'll stay inside or something. I, I don't know. Yeah. But we have we have other larger, more important things to talk about. First, I made this mistake last episode or maybe the episode before. I don't remember. It's time for the History on the Table 20 of 23. Top 20 games of all time 2023 as voted on by everyone on our Discord server. Nice. Now, let's just say that I haven't turned in my ballot yet. Yes. And uh, how how would I go about doing that? Yeah, so you can send me a Discord message if you want the link, or if you go onto the History on the Table Discord server, that's the only requirement. You just have to be a member of the Discord server. There's a link down in our show notes, like always. You go into Podcast Talk and check the pinned messages, or you can check the pinned messages in general. Nope, just in Podcast Talk. Or you can pop in there and ask, but there's a link to a uh, Google form and you just put in your discord name and you submit your top 20 list. It's ranked choice voting. So whatever you rank number one gets the most points. You don't have to do all 20, but you have 20 slots. Might as well use them. The deadline for that is November 17th. So we need those a little bit of ahead of time of our November episode. And we'll probably record before Thanksgiving because Thanksgiving is on the 30th this year, right? Mm, no, it's, I no, think it's, it's on not, 23rd. It's 23rd. It's yeah. 23rd. Right, right. Sorry, sorry. Uh, so maybe, we'll, anyways, regardless, November 17th, that's your deadline to get your top 20 in. If you go to the same location, also pinned in the same message is finally giving a go at the every series ever list. Nice. Let the arguments begin. Yeah, exactly. Let them begin, but I don't care. <laughs> so how that works is there's more questions on the every series ever questionnaire but basically we're just kind of compiling everyone's favorite series their number one overall favorite series uh a series they don't want to play and like series they would purchase it so we're going to do something with that data as well uh maybe some other kind of contest that doesn't have a definite deadline when it gets closer we'll say like you need to have your every series ever submissions in but both those can be found on the history on the table discord server in podcast talk whatever they're sticky you can send me a message doesn't matter we'll get you the link if you need it to submit your list rich you have not submitted your list i have not we're we're, i'm I'm perusing it still fair enough yeah and we're going to take the results of this sell them to gmt and mmp and buy me a new microphone right Mm -hmm. okay there you go that'll that'll do it yeah (laughs) yeah or or whoever wants to to buy them yeah uh would you like the responses of 30 middle, middle-aged white men and their opinions on, <laughs> on on what is the series. So good. That's I think that's all the business we have to get out of the way. For our patrons, I'd flirted a new show uh, idea. We, we still have the hot-blooded segment. We're going to keep rolling with that. 
I'm excited for what I'm talking about. Another one that's going to be coming. We, I just don't think we have time for it tonight because we have the return of the game of games tonight. The war game game is back. But that's it for business from me. Anything from you, Richard? Uh, No. No, nothing for me. Well, what are we going to do in December? We should go ahead and talk about that. Yeah, so we're getting real close to our end of the year episode. And we could probably talk off there, but typically what that looks like in December is no featured game for us, just kind of a big episode and we get other people, other podcast people, we get them to, you know, submit their best of the year. And what I like, the thing I like what you and I do about the best of the end of the year is it's not limited to 2023 releases because we don't limit ourselves. That's what happened to us in 2023 because that's all that's important. Yeah. We talk about what missed, what hits. um, Yeah. So we'll, we'll, that has never maintained the same format from year to year. We're going to keep evolving it, but December will will be different. So this November will be our last truly featured game of the year, unless Rich and I get a wild hair up our ass. And the list opens up in December, so. It does, hey. and I have some changes. I figured. Uh, that I will stop If you're for, listening I mean. and you have some changes to our list, let us know. We'll take them into account. We'll consider them. Yeah. I mean, if the, if the if the uh, if the clay has been softened, then it's softened for everyone. Fair enough. Well, we make that list by the games that we play. Rich, you've had some good game in action lately. It looks like. Yeah, I mean, finally, um, I played my first face-to-face game since Historic Fest in Kansas City, and it was a big one. It was well, it actually went pretty quickly. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I played Here I Stand um, every year. This time of year, we always play Here I Stand. We've been playing. Uh, ever since 2017, which was the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. So we play every year except for one year we had to cancel. So I think we even played, I think we even played in 2020. But anyway, we did play yesterday. Um, so we had six people over, had a great game, good time. So, you know, Mike um, from, he lives in Wentzville, which is between here and his relic on the, uh, on the, on discord mm-hmm. but um so he came in and he <laughs> so here i stand is is a political game you know you've got to play the table and he played it masterfully he mm-hmm. he started in i played the ottomans um and he started in making everyone seem like i was this huge threat to their very existence and he turned the whole table against me before i mean he had he had like england he had the papacy he had them throwing cards at me during battles between me and him because mm-hmm. they were so scared of me and then i'm like what are you guys doing? I'm trying to talk them out of this. And they're like, yeah, but we're scared of piracy. And I'm like, piracy is not even in the game yet. The card hasn't (laughs) shown up. I can't do anything. Stop it. You're letting him run you over. And then of course, turn three. So piracy did make it into the game, like middle of turn three. By that time, the game was over. Like literally I was out of cards. I never engaged in piracy one time. He still had like four or five cards left and he just ran through the Ottoman empire and, got an auto victory on turn three so wow yeah if someone comes in and tells you that one guy is the bad guy he may not be telling you the truth (laughs) Mm -hmm. how many how many experienced players versus how many new players there was uh so mike and i were probably the we're the most experienced we had we had one guy that plays every single year with us but he always plays the prots so um that's like his thing he's he goes to church with me he always plays the protestants and then we had two one very new player we had one player who had this was her second time playing and we had one guy that had a little bit uh a decent amount of experience so yeah 
Good. But That's it awesome. went, I mean, like it was pretty quick game. It was, it was, when did, when we played that game last year, when you got steamrolled as France, uh-huh. was that uh-huh. a turn three Ottoman or uh Habsburg victory? Yeah. It feels like it was like turn three or turn four. Yeah. Um, yeah. This one was turn three. So it might've even been faster than last year. <laughs> More of my games have ended in the turn three, turn four range than not. Yeah. Very few seem to go the distance, just in my experience. I'm not saying that's like a, a rule or anything, but... Yeah, I've had a decent number. Our in-person games, well, last year, last year we went the distance. I mean, we had like multiple players in the 20s, and I think the Protestants, I can't remember if they got auto victory or 25 points or whatever, but um, yeah, we've we've had a few that have gone the distance. This has been the quickest of our in-person games, for sure. Nice. Yeah. Good. I mean, I always, always love to hear, hear about Here I Stand. Yeah. Always a good time. And we spent a lot of the time talking about Virgin Queen, which I'm always going to play Here I Stand this time this year, but really makes me want to play Virgin Queen because I never have. Yeah, I'm really going to push multiplayer games next year for Historic Fest. Yeah. And I think Virgin Queen will will make the cut. Like, uh, I'm thinking like Pex Rin and, and all this stuff, but Here I Stand Virgin Queen will, and I've never played Virgin Queen uh, and, and seen it last year and just everything I've heard. I think a lot of people also like the uh religious factions a lot more in virgin queen than than here i stand but anyways and that actually so that's the one thing the four of us that we're not playing religious factions you know every time it gets to that side of the table and it we have to kind of take a 10 minute break while those two do their thing. We all sit around talking about how this game would be better if, (laughs) if that part of it was streamlined and we talk about ways to do that. And those that had played Virgin Queen say, yeah, Virgin Queen handles it a little better. Yeah. You played with Mike. I was going to ask like how long before he started correcting, like redesigning here I stand. (laughs) Well, he was sitting next to me and we were talking about the, that. So yeah, that was it. Yeah. Nice. All right. I'm a little jealous that you got this to the table. It's a gorgeous looking game, and that's the latest BCS well, action from Well, if you are, want to make the trip to St. Louis last weekend of October next year, I would love to have you. Oh, no. Sorry. I jumped. I was. That was a transition. Oh, oh I would love to be there game, for yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, sorry. I'm, I'm already full sail on <laughs> onto Valley of Tears just with how amazing it looks. Like, yeah, what an so, awesome so game. brand new game. Super excited about it. It's a new BCS game. Mm-hmm. Um, it is the 1973 war between Israel, Egypt, and uh, Syria. And it's, um, it's a three-map game, one map on the Syria side, two maps on the Egypt side. I haven't played the Egypt side yet. I've only been playing Syria so far. Um, sure. But really, it's... Technically, you can play it as a combined game, but it's really two games. You can have some forces move back and forth between the two, but really it's it's two games. And even if you play them as one game, it still kind of treats them as two games in one way, um, which I, I shouldn't say anything negative about it. I've barely played it and I haven't played it as two two games yet, as a two front war yet. But just in my very early plays of it, I love the new air system. You know, they obviously a lot happened in air warfare between World War II, which is every other BCS game, and 1973. That's a long time. Surface to air missiles, the biggest piece. It handles the air system very differently than an air BCS game, and it's it's great. It, It really works well. In fact, to the point that it's not just because they're surface to air missiles, although that there are specific things in there because of that, but you could take that air system and put it in the older BCS games as well, and it would mm. work well. So, 
basically, very briefly, the way it works is instead of instead of just getting air points, which are in effect in the rulebook, it even calls them flying artillery, which they're such a small part of regular BCS that often I'll almost forget to use them. Um, they're just not that big a deal. But you actually get air units. Um, they look kind of like the OCS uh, air counters, but you'll assign them different missions. So maybe you've got like six planes and um, four of them are full strength and two of them are reduced strength. You know, they've already been flipped because I get hit or whatever. Um, so for a mission, you need a full strength plane or two reduced strength planes. And then you assign them all to missions and then you go through the missions in order and you see whether they survive the surface-to-air missiles. And you do them in a certain order because some of your missions are to take out surface-to-air missiles. And then finally, you get down to your last mission is close air support, which just... Any, any of those planes that survive turn into the same type of air points that you use in any other BCS game. But the fact that you have different layers and different missions for the planes, and not every plane can do every mission. You can't send a bomber to do air superiority and stuff like that. But um, it just it makes the air system a, a lot more interesting than in normal BCS. That's the biggest difference so far. That's awesome. Yeah. I guess the other big difference in, um, is that it's just the composition of forces. So like the Israeli forces have zero support units. That was like that. That's not what they did. They just threw a bunch of tanks at you. So, and then you've got the, the Sagar missiles, which were a huge thing, um, giving really good support to the Arab forces. So there are definitely differences that make it feel very not world war two. And they're all really well done. I got to say that if we did something like designer of the year, like, Carl Fung, one his his research in development for a lot of DNSIC games and MMP games is just so impressive. Anyways, oh, if you're yeah. unfamiliar, his his blog on BGG is a fantastic read. Every time he posts something, yeah. And then if you look at BGG, they're like, there was so much in there that we forgot to include the player notes. So here they are on <laughs> BGG. <laughs> so not only does he design this new take on bcs and bring it into a new era right it takes it out of world war ii which is impressive on its own Mm -hmm. but then he also like revived tcs tactical combat series with goose green covering the falklands war which is impressive i mean i just on like discord and then if you look on like facebook and stuff there was a significant amount of of people picking up goose green which is not like something you hear a lot about uh arietti came out and 2020 but i don't know maybe there's like before i guess that was probably before the discord was up and running did so he design it, that one no no oh. but that was the last tcs game to come oh, out oh okay goose, gotcha. goose green just seems to be like popping up everywhere yeah everybody's and talking about it i haven't i, I haven't like played it play i don't that. own it but yeah i'm gonna try to play that but i'm gonna try both of these i want to play both of these before the end of the year mm-hmm. uh, because i think they could b- easily crack one both for historical board game awards and also just my own personal list it needs yeah i need to do it yeah they need, they need to get played that's awesome i'm i'm glad you have tabled that i i've not found the time yeah and good call on carl i mean the the notes and books on the shelf i mean i could throw the 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 vot player note or uh you know just the notes from the that are in the box is almost like another book it's they're so detailed and there's so much in there and it's it's a lot of good stuff yeah, his blog's really good. I messaged him some time ago, sent him an email, or I don't remember how I messaged him. Maybe he's on BGG about bringing him on the show. Maybe 
maybe once I finally get these tabled, I'll I'll see if he's still interested because he'd oh, yeah. be uh, he'd be a great great interview for sure. Anyways, yeah, Goose Green and Valley of Tears, I think are are both worth looking into. Okay, how about you? You've been playing something, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, just rally the troop stuff. Nothing new to report. Yeah. yeah, you know, firing up more coin stuff, 300, whatever. Everything that I soloed over the last month was our featured game, which was Flying Colors. And okay. then our our Wednesday group, I've had to kind of shift that, which isn't really important. We don't need to get into, but, like, that's kind of, like, put a hamper on our Pacific War game, stuff like that, which is too bad. So, no, not, not anything historical. But I have been reading, which is always good. <laughs> and I started master and commander the master and commander series yeah um it's called it's called something else it's about the the spy and the the captain but like of course i thought the first one was called master and commander master, yeah the book itself is called master oh, and commander but it's a whole series okay, right yeah. i've only read the first book uh, yeah it, what's interesting is from i haven't seen the movie since shortly after it came out uh-huh. and which gosh i i was probably still in high school when that came out yeah, and i remember long, really <laughs> yeah, 2003. Gosh, I was barely oh, wow. in high school. I may not have even been in high school when that came out. But this, that's a Russell Crowe movie yep. and Aubrey Maturin. That's what the series is called. Oh, okay. And it had like a very serious tone from what I remember. And I could be misremembering. It's been a long time since I've seen it. But I'm reading Master and Commander and Captain Aubrey is just like this very aloof drunk guy having an affair who's like mood is changing and he's getting like he's like a sourpuss because he doesn't have enough men then he's got like way too many men and he's kind of just like lucky it seems like i don't know it's just like the book doesn't line up to what the vision of the what i remember the movie it's very good it's very entertaining but and and people they're like you said it's a long series people love the books i i didn't hate the book but i didn't love it either like i read it and it was fine and but i think I never really thought of it that way, but I think the fact that I saw the mer- movie first and it was very disconnected from the movie might have colored the way I, th- I thought about it. Mm. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I mean, they're they're super fun. It, I expected, because of the movie, I expected way heavier book, but they're pretty light. Yeah. Um, they're easy to burn through. And I will say, it's historical fiction. It's no chicken hawk. Don't get me wrong, but there is knowledge to be gained here, and just especially because the matron who uh, starts off as a surgeon on the ship, like, has this whole chapter where it's basically some guy on the ship explaining everything to him, and just I some of the terminology. That. That's my used. favorite chapter in the book because that's <laughs> that's so like boring. such a great way to do exposition to the reader. You give a, you put a character in that yeah. doesn't know anything about 18th century sailing, and you have someone explain everything to him. Sure, sure. <laughs> Some of it got lost on me because it's like, and that connecting to that is the the humdinger, yeah. which is then connected to the flux yeah. thing along a do do, and it's like, okay, it's, I'm following it, this. It's but. funny because I learned a lot of that stuff in the Navy. Sure. Which is stuff that I will never ever use. I mean, <laughs> I, w- I was on a modern warship in the in the '90s, so I didn't need to know about what the lines were like in the 1800s. But but we still learned that stuff because that's the way the Navy is. You learn a lot of old stuff that you never need. Imagine that. That's <laughs> that is one of the least shocking things I've heard today. But in short, it's good. It's fun. Uh, I'm I'm gonna I'll probably do a couple books and then just just call it good. It's not. I'm not like burning to read more of them. Yeah. I just did it because we're doing flying colors and yeah. 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 That's a good one for that. Uh, I read 18 days in October by Uri Kaufman, um, who I've never read anything else by him, but uh, <laughs> has, has he done something else that I should know about or. 
No, I just like I think I think most of us would have known like if you had just said like Uri Kaufman. I don't know. That just seems like a name that not a lot of people would have read yeah. other stuff by him. It's like <laughs> I have no idea. So sometimes, uh, but it was about the uh, the 1973 war. It was not. Oh, okay. It was good. It was. Um. I mean, it wasn't. It didn't blow me away. It wasn't boring. It was. It was just a you know a medium weight book about the 1973 war, which is what I was looking for. So. Great. Awesome. Okay. Well, how are your vocal cords feeling tonight? Uh, are, do you want me to sing? Yeah. Yeah. You want to <laughs> give me a, give me a little bit here? Uh, oh yeah. I need, uh, all right. Let's see. No, you can't sing tonight. Oh man. Okay. Are you hot blooded about anything tonight? I am. I didn't put it on the list. And so this is an interesting one for me because last time I had the thing in my, in my possession, I am very curious and I've, I talked to Rex at, at our game day about this and I, I posted on the discord and no one, no one bit 1812 war on the great lakes frontier, which mm-hmm. is bizarre for one. I guess it's not bizarre. It's interesting that I'm going back to back on compass games. <laughs> so let me describe the game. It, one before I describe the game, gorgeous map, really interesting map layout as well. The land hexes at most are like three hexes deep in some spots, maybe four hexes deep. Uh, and then there's the lake hexes for like Lake Erie and stuff and these kind of like weird land paths you can take, but it's, it's a strategic game, obviously covering the war of 1812 and you move individual ships and then you move regiments around the map and then you get in these engagements and then you break off into a regiment level like battlefield. And so you can assign units to be on left rank center, right? You can hold them in reserve support. There's, there's a lot of flexibility in combat. And I read through the rules, which are available on Compass website. The the playbook is not. And I read through the errata because... Because <laughs> it's Compass. Compass. <laughs> There's... I'm going to give you... What do you think the over-under is on bullet points of errata if I say five and a half bullet points? Oh, I'd go over that. Yeah, I think it was five. Oh, really? Okay. I could be wrong, but that was like I was like, "Whoa, this doesn't have a lot of errata," <laughs> which is promising, right? Yeah. Because sometimes you open up an errata sheet for for those, and it's like two pages of stuff. Yeah. Uh, and that's not a compass only thing. Like, go look at the Pacific War errata. It's then like thirty years of development. It's mm-hmm. nuts. So, but here's the deal: I don't know if I like the combat, and I love this idea of you have leaders and you're moving around in the strategic scale, and then you break off into combat and everything. So, do you looks- take the combat to a separate board? Yeah, kind just like a little like I'm sure it's um, cardstock. Is it kind of like the Nevsky board where you just sort of line them up to yeah, show who's exactly. on the flank? Exactly. You there know, are Mike, some mechanics. To Mike it. was actually showing me a game yesterday that did that exact same thing, but I didn't think it was an 1812 game. I wonder. Well, there's lots. Okay. So New York 1776 is a academy. Well, no, I know about those because I've yeah. got I've got one of those games. Okay. Yeah. This is a different. That's Worthing. Sorry, real quick. That's Worthing to yeah. non Academy. Yeah. So I don't know if I like that, though, Rich, and so that's the problem. And the deal with Compass, of course, is this game would cost a lot of money. Even on ADR sure. sales or something like that, it's 66 bucks. Then you got to pay almost 20 bucks for shipping, so you're around 86 bucks. so call it 90 90 bucks for an unproven designer, a game where you're kind of wishy-washy on the, the combat. It's card-driven. You kind of, as you move around the map, and then you get into, like, individual naval combats. It, it's like ship-on-ship naval and then like i said it's regimental level when you when you finally get into combat 
Hmm. So this is more, I'm very interested in this game and I've very seriously considered it, but I'm looking for that thing to push me over the edge. Well, the nice thing about Compass is that Miniature Market will carry it. So. Right. If it's a good game, and if you hear good things about it, you'll be able to pick it up there. So, a go- I don't, I don't necessarily like the like regiment, regimental counters. Yeah. So, which drawing? But this you is to some the of the best. Real quick, this is some of the best map art I've seen. Okay. This year, what's drawing this to me? Yeah. Is you have a strategic esque, strategic scale, almost game covering. The War of 1812, which is unique, and then limiting it to just the Great Lakes. And I really like the presentation of moving around. Like, you're doing troop transports across Lake Erie and doing landings and trying to take different uh, fortifications and towns. And so, I I wouldn't say it's like U.S. Civil War, but it's like open. You you know, it's one of those games that you're Mm -hmm. presented with the Great Lakes region. You're presented with Lake Erie, basically, and then there's a little bit of Lake Huron and must be one other lake i guess but you're presented with it and then it's kind of go out and do what you want and try to win this war what's holding me back is the combat so i like the scale that's presented and i like the potential sandbox nature i don't know what the scenarios are though so i'm kind of assuming that like if it's if they're presenting as a strategic level game and just look at the map and how the cards kind of drive you to do this or that. I'm assuming that it's kind of like a little bitty eight, War of 1812 sandbox, which looks really cool. Okay. And it's a u- unique map. It's not like you don't lay down the map and that's your map. It is, it's carved out very interesting. It's hard to explain. Like there's, oh, there will be one trail of hexes instead of a giant hex area. It's, it's very, very interesting. Okay. So I'm, I'm, pretty fired up on it if someone offered me to play i'd do it in a heartbeat they just need to have the playbook rules are very easy to read i saw it was like 40 pages or something like that i don't remember what it is anymore off the top of my head i was like oh boy what am i getting into and it's not that deep is this one already out yeah it just came out okay gotcha so that's 1812 war on the great lakes frontier designed by ken repel maybe repel sorry don't know uh published by compass games i'm hot-blooded for it but I need some listeners to give me some feedback on what they think about this game. There you go. Somebody go be a guinea pig. Yeah, please. That's you nailed it exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm looking for. All right. Well, I don't need a guinea pig for the one I'm hot blooded about because it is Valley of Tears. It's on my table right now. Um, I just I think I think this feels like one that I really want to dive into. Like I will probably mm-hmm. be playing this game for the next couple of months. I, I don't I don't know that I'll play the the two front game because I'm going to be playing solitaire, um, and I, I don't know that it's worth it to try to you know chew that much up by myself. But I definitely want to play both fronts, and I want to see how they play. You know what kind of strategy there is. Um, one thing that I think is really cool about this game too, if you don't know, is the the scoring. The victory points are different on both fronts as well so the syrians their end game victory points is whatever their high water mark was so basically oh, cool they want to go in they want to bum rush and you know three four turns in that's probably the furthest they're going to get and then israel's going to kick them all the way back to their capital um so they want to get to that high water mark and it doesn't matter when they get there whatever their high water mark is 
at the end of the game, that's how many victory points they get. Egypt is very different. Egypt gets their end game victory points, but Egypt, what they want to do is they want to advance pretty slowly, actually, because otherwise they're going to get counterattacked and they're going to get in a lot of trouble. And historically, that's kind of what happened. You know, Syria um, did well in the opening day of the war. They overran the pretty lightly defended garrisons. And um, Egypt did well, too. But Syria started the counterattacks on Syria were, were pretty bad pretty quickly. And Egypt actually went against their war plans because they were trying to help Syria. Um, and Egypt ended up screwing themselves over. And, you know, it's it's an interesting war historically because, you know, it's it's not really clear who won it. Mm. Um, you know, Egypt and Israel both somewhat came out well, even though a lot of people died. Syria definitely did not win it. But um, it's, yeah, the victory points are really interesting. I've already talked a little bit about the, uh, the air system is different. Um, so the the lack of any support at all on Israel's side. If you've played a lot of BCS, that's totally different, you know. Um, but the the um, action ratings of the units are wildly different, too. So, like, Syria is attacking, but they're attacking with, like, action rating two guys against Israel's garrison defenses, which is, like, fives, and I think there's even a six in there. So you're starting off at a minus four on your attack. You're like, oh, my gosh, this is <laughs> awful. But Israel never has support, um, so Syria has support, and it's 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 really interesting. It's, it's, very, uh, it's very asymmetric in a good way, so... I really have the the deep desire right now to to see to find out as much as I can about this game. That's awesome. Yeah. I love when a game ins- inspires that, and then inspires the knowledge to like. Obviously, you read a book, and then I'm I'm sure you're gonna keep diving in oh, yeah. to learn more about uh, about the topic. So this game is very up. Like, I've got a fever of 102 or something with this, right? Like, I'm I'm horned up for it as well, but. BCS as a whole is 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 infamously one of those. Oh, I got to spend more time with it, and then I don't. Yeah. Where's like BCS for you? A little like spoiler for our series poll. Like BCS, I'm just gonna guess for you is like a top ten series. Oh, definitely top ten. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. high up there. In fact, I mean, there are still things about OCS that draw me to it, make me want to get on an OCS game. But for the most part, BCS has replaced OCS for me. Hmm. I find that interesting. Yeah. But. There are things that OCS still, that the depth of OCS still draws me to it. And BCS is, I mean, it's not a light game, but it, it's lighter. And OCS is a little more sandboxy than BCS because BCS um, keeps all the formations, act they activate by themselves and they all activate in a lot of ways independently and they have to because you have to keep their blobs together keep their supply lines separated things like that otherwise you get punished by the game for for doing that um Mm -hmm. whereas in ocs you know you've got supplies you get them out to wherever you need to get them you transport them around things like that so ocs is more sandboxy which i like but bcs is a little cleaner nice yeah very good very, very good. That's Valley of Tears making the second time we've talked about it tonight, but yep. I, worthy. Absolutely worthy. Very good. Should we play a game? We should play a game. All what right. game are we going to play? Uh, how about the War Game Game Game? It's the Game of Games. It's the War Game Game. Rich, come on down. I know it's been a while. It has been a while. I think we're going to re-explain the rules. 
All right, Rich can earn up to 10 points. He gets to guess before and after every clue I give him. Every clue I give him reduces his points by one. So, Rich, I'm thinking of a game, and you're going to take a guess right now for 10 points. What is it? You are. So I'm going to guess a game by Mike Nagel because... (laughs) I almost did this. Go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. So, man, I thought you might, so... I guess I'm wrong, though, but I'm going to go with Son of York, which is like a weird, obscure, well, obscure to me game that's by Mike Nagel. That's my guess. That's so funny. I almost did that to miss with you. <laughs> no, no. All right. I guess I'm going to get 10 points game. tonight. Okay. This game was designed in 2006. Designed in 2006. Actually, that's probably not an accurate statement. That game was published in 2006. I'm going to guess that there were several years of like design or even more. So published in 2006. Good enough. So this is in my time when I was not doing any wargaming at all. Um, let's go with let's go with Samurai. Nice. No, this game is a card-driven game. Okay, card-driven game from two thousand six. It's around the time that Wilderness War came out. Mm, nice. I think Wilderness War was two thousand three, maybe. Okay, but could be close. wrong. All right. Okay. I'm running out of clues here. As a whole, this game series includes both the European Pacific and North African front. European Pacific and North African. Basically, front. all it covers all of World War II, all the all right, theaters. So, World War II card-driven game from two thousand six. There's something on the tip of my tongue, but it's staying on the tip of my tongue. So, I'm going to go ahead and pass. Going to pass. Yeah. Okay. This game simulates tactical combat. Oh, okay. I was thinking strategic because you went so big, but we're talking tactical. Is this Combat Commander? It is. Oh, look at me. You you threw uh, me. I should have held back. I should have held back on tactical. <laughs> yeah, because th- I was thinking strategic when you were talking about the, all the theaters, but yeah, yeah, that makes sense. There you go. There you go, folks. Combat Commander with, uh, I think, for six points. It's nice. It's That's be one top. of my best showings. <laughs> yeah, 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 it was. I should have listed the artists. Should have, <laughs> yeah, that would have done it for sure. Would have at least delayed you by one. Yeah. Well, very good. If we have any artists that listen to our show, they hate me because I never know anything <laughs> about them. <laughs> well, interestingly, and I well, maybe not interesting because a lot of artists do this, but Chad Jensen is listed as an artist. So that would have been a huge clue. Oh, really? Yeah, in itself. Yeah. 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 So what's funny is I, I, I did a poll, I did a rip on ChatGPT for give me 10 clues for <laughs> Red Winter, which yeah. is what I was considering doing. Whether I don't know if I've done Red Winter before or not. I think I have. But anyways, it's, it mentioned that Red Winter is a card-driven game. And I'm like, I don't know. That's not. Okay. So obviously we can't rely on uh, Red Winter or ChatGPT <laughs> yeah. to come up with our clues. <laughs> Took that away. All right. Very good, Rich. Six points. I'll take nicely, it. Nicely done. Okay, well, that's not the only. Those aren't the only games. That's no. not the only game we're playing tonight. Although we're not playing this one, we're talking about it. Rich, tell me what our featured game is. Our featured game for this month is a game called Flying Colors. So the year yes. of naval wargaming continues. That's right. So it's, uh, it's by GMT Games, and as I mentioned, because I thought you might try to sneak one in past me, is uh, it was by um, uh, designer is Mike Nagel. Artists are Roger B. McGowan, always, Mike Nagel, and Mark Semenich, <laughs> which, you know, except for the Mike Nagel, that's pretty much a go-to for GMT. And right. this one came out in 2003, which is, yeah. I I don't, if I would have guessed, I think I would have guessed that it's a newer game than that, actually. 
you know what's interesting is I think that there was even an earlier version. Yeah. Um, if you go for some reason, they're not com- con- included in under Southern Cross or on GMT's website. I had to do some digging for Mike Nagel's Mike Nagel's design notes. Okay. And I think it started as DTP. Really? What's that? Which I don't know what that is. <laughs> uh, he just mentions it. He says there were substantive changes between the DTB, DTP version of Flying Colors and its GMT reincarnation. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I thought that was a little interesting little tidbit. There's been a few follow-ups to the series. The most recent printing is a third printing. And so... Yeah, and there's, what, four expansions? Uh, well, there's an expansion, there's, and there's uh, two, follow-on, two yeah. follow-on series, and there might be one more. But basically, Flying Colors is covering the Age of Sail. Yeah. And Flying Colors specifically, which is the game we're talking about, we're not touching the American ones, and we're not touching Under a Southern Cross, covers naval engagements as early as 1756 up and through 1805. Yeah. And that the original box is just French and British, right? At least the scenarios I played it were. I believe so, unless like some of those maybe like weird like um, Australians yeah. included. Okay. But I could be well, I no, because I think the scenario we played at Kinsey Historical Gaming Group included was included in the original and included Dutch. Oh, okay. Could be wrong, but the if you buy something now, then the deluxe edition is way to go because in the base game it was eighteen scenarios. If you get the deluxe edition, it's something like forty five scenarios plus it includes uh, the ships of the line expansion from C three I, which is highly sought after or was until the reprint. It's got a new set of scenarios only in the deluxe edition, and the best way to sum up this game is flying colors. And I'm just going to pull directly from Mike Nagel. Was designed to create a fast-playing Age of Sail war game where players can complete Trafalgar in an evening. And meaning you're doing a full naval um, battle or engagement battle yeah. engagement entire fl- fleet on fleet engagement. Yep. That's what yep. I was trying to look for. And I think it's it does that. I I don't know how fast you could play Trafalgar, but this is. We were done in four hours on a pretty, I think we had 38 ships in our battle on Saturday and just playing it solo. And then I did play, I do have to, just because I promised them, I promised my fluffers that I would give them a shout out to, <laughs> to Paul and Carl for uh, them helping me pregame Flying Colors. Uh, I, I could just see that. It's, it's, very, it's very light. It boils down and takes out a lot of the stuff. Yeah. Um, the details in naval games and just boils them down to the essence, what you really need to do to have fleet on fleet action. Yep. So again, that's that's the overview. Did you did you get a chance to play this? Have you played Flying Colors? Oh yeah. I mean, I have not not before this month. I haven't. Oh okay. I didn't know because you had you had put this up a couple months ago. Yeah. As your pick, and then yeah. it just took it a couple months to get through. Yeah, and part of the reason I, w- I put it up is because I wanted a reason to force me to play it. I've had it, yeah. you know, for a little while, and I've been wanting to play it. So um, I only played solo again. Um, that's sure. A, I'm going to talk about that later in the show, but I think I'm officially a solo gamer now, it feels like. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I enjoyed it. It was fun. It was it was exactly as you described. It's it's a naval game. It's, it's lightweight. Um, we have already reviewed... Captain C, uh, mm-hmm. which is also by Mike Nagel, and 
it's it's so similar to Captain C. I mean, not that that should be a surprise. It's the same designer. I mean, really, the only difference between this and Captain C is that Captain C rules as written is strictly a one ship on one ship game. There are like at the end of the rule, basically like if you want to do more than one ship, you can do this. But honestly, doing more than one ship is the same game. It's just flying colors. Well, I don't agree. Okay. So uh, be, yeah, just because there's so many, th- you, yeah, but I get like the, yeah. at their essence, right? Because if flying colors is a stripped down version of something like close action, which Mike Nagel credits as inspiration, which just talking and with, that's, with, that's a minis game, right? It's a very detailed minis okay. game that, that Rex and Zach, who I played with on Saturday, had played at AACCon just the weekend before. Yeah. And so that was fresh in their minds. So I there are a lot of similarities there. And so if Flying Colors is the boiled-down essence of that game to prevent fleet-on-fleet action, uh-huh. then Captain C is some of that stuff added back in. And it's a vast improvement, I think, on the dual rules from flying colors so yes, the essence of I flying agree. colors is fleet on fleet you can do dueling scenarios if you have captaincy like i do then i would just play captaincy because then you're doing like cool things like managing how your what positions your crew are doing and right. and am, ammunition and, and all that stuff that's the main difference is in captaincy yeah. this side of the ship got hit so the guys on this side of the ship they also got hit mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. whereas in uh in flying colors you can hit the hull or the rigging <laughs> yeah those are your choices so let's let's go through the mechanics real quick because there really aren't that many there's some like nuances when you're doing like a pass through or trying to grapple a ship we're mm-hmm. not going to get into that because those don't come up all the time really what this game is is you you check the wind and i have i our buddy rex had a very interesting comment about the wind that i want to dive into but you check the wind, you designate your commands. And so you have all these different admirals and commanders who have command radiuses. And if a ship is in their radius, they're in command. But also, if you daisy chain within four hexes and you're all facing the same direction, right. you can all stay in command. So you can have a line going across the entire map and you're still in command. Yeah. You designate how you're going to break that command up. Are you doing one giant command, or are these guys going to move first in this? And then you roll initiative, and then you just start going back and forth with those commands. Yeah, and every ship gets to basically shoot out of one side, each side, once per round. So you can decide if you want to use it on defensive fire, or you want to wait until it's your turn and you move. Um, And there's a little bit of strategy involved, but it's, I mean, it's usually going to be pretty obvious when you should be taking your shot. Yeah, yeah. The the shots, everything, every ship has a effective rate. A and rating, so, yeah. So like a first uh, rate ship or a second rate ship, and and that's gonna determine your firepower. There's gonna be adjustments to that just based off of the year. You know, uh, carronade uh, capabilities as as the years get later, the more firepower you have, that type of thing. Are you on fire? Well, okay, you're gonna be a little <laughs> less effective because people are putting out the fire. Uh, are you flying full sails? Same thing. You're you're less effective. So you you determine this basic firepower, and then you're going to have adjustments to that firepower. Are you uh, are you British and you're firing at the hole in the wind? Oh, I'm sorry, those are die roll modifiers. That's terrible. Yeah. Those is it are, your initial? Is yeah, it your so you initial start broadside off on the on the first chart, which tells you what column you're on on the second chart? Right. Right. So you're modifying your firepower. It, as your initial broadside, what's the audacity rating of your fleet? Then you get die roll modifiers for like being 
British mm-hmm. attack, attacking the hole. Yeah. Then you roll, and that tells you you're going to choose either rigging or hole, like you said. That's going to tell me how many hits you do. If you are raking the stern or bow and you're targeting the hole, you're going to double the amount of hits you do, that type of thing. You might catch on fire. That's combat. And yeah. movement movement is all fixed off of your relative position to the wind. So everything moves at the exact same rate. It's just the wind determines your movement yeah. points. And you have to use all of your movement points. Mm-hmm. Yep. So there, there are things that you can do to not move as far if you don't want to. By There are ways to suck up movement points, but you always have to use all of your movement points. Yep. You also, another just like interesting side comment is you have to do everything within your power to not collide. Yeah. And I found, again, buried in these design notes that were not included in the physical copies of the games I have is a comment that he just thought it was too easy in past games. And so it's really hard. We had one collision in our game. It did come up in our, in our in-person game. I didn't have any solo and it didn't happen on Vassal, but he just felt it happened way too often. And so you have to do everything without your power to not collide. And then you move based off of the wind position that's it. So you're either going to have five, four, or two. If you're playing Gusty, you get an extra one. And then if you're full sail, you get plus two, three, or four, yeah. depending on your win position. If you play full sail and you're playing against the French, they're going to quickly shoot the hell out of your sails. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then you just you try to either uh, get them to strike their colors by dishing out enough hole hits or dismasting them by targeting their rigging. Yeah, and that's basically it. So combat, yeah. to me felt and this is a weird analogy but this is the one that came to me and i was playing it it felt like dungeons and dragons it felt like you have a bunch of hit points and you knock down the hit points and most of the time it doesn't matter like when you're getting mm. from 20 to 15 to 10 you know you're doing i mean most of the time you're doing one two or three points of damage at a time so to get from 20 to 10 is going to take three or four rounds to do it at least um, and then you finally do get to a point where you've done enough damage where it's starting to slow the ship down and things like that. But just for the most part, it, it just feels like it's just a bucket of hit points that you're trying to get rid of. Yeah, I, I, I guess that's not an unfair. I didn't think about it in those terms, but that's probably not unfair. And I had a pretty good. So there's a there's a point in the game once once a ship has become damaged that you start seeing if your fleet breaks off. And yeah. runs a basically, they're like, we're out of here. And if you're the British, it's going to be harder because of your audacity rating, that type of thing. But there's modifiers that go into it. And so even a 20-turn game will likely not go 20 turns. Either they leave the map or they run away or, or you just call it. But you are kind of right. The ships are so meaty that every ship is probably, like the bigger ships are going to have at least like 15 whole points before they can. And then rigging is always 15 before you become dismasted. Mm-hmm. So, um, you're, yeah, it's, it's, it does take several rounds unless I, my poor Dutch, I had one, I broke up my command in two and I sent one to engage the, the British were already divided into because they were in a rush to engage the Dutch before I got to the shallow shore. Uh-huh. So I chose one half to engage the British and the other half turned and ran. And then the Brits went full sail. The wind never changed. 
they were we were both using the wind but they caught up with me and they were able to rake um my my backside quite effectively and so there were some turns when i was taking double damage Mm -hmm. so if they're rolling like four hole five hole that turns into eight hole ten hole and then you know you're potentially damaging on on one or two rounds which yeah. Uh, obviously you want to avoid that. But and yeah, you gotta you're right. be pretty it does close to get price. those kind of numbers usually. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. That being said though, I do like I love it. I love the stories that unfolded and just like the stubbornness of commanders, the the players and like one one ship was and I don't remember Sternway or something like that, when basically you you're not dismasted but you have no movement points just based off your wind position like you've taken some rigging damage and so you just drift and then you get a turn if you want it and he's like no i'm just gonna drift and like leave my ship pointed at your ship for full broadside and just like i don't know it tells a very interesting story in all of the games i play whether what's going on with the wind if a if a ship blows up because of the fire rules or or whatever i really really like this game and it's not a game i anticipated liking i didn't think i'd like it at all i thought i would like it more than i did (laughs) really yeah i mean i don't hate this game it's another one i mean it's it's a good game it's fine um i think i would like this a lot more with other people i played it strictly solitaire because it's kind of a beer and pretzels game it is it's right it's right above beer and pretzels i think i think there's like case rules with like weird things that come up that make it a little bit more than that but at its essence especially if you just have ships that are uh, moving parallel with each other yeah. there's then it's really beer and pretzels right because you're not like getting into the the boarding actions and the uh yeah. the weird case so rules. when you played this at casey game day how many players did you have we had three so okay. all my opposed were three uh and then i soloed yeah see i could see this one being a lot of fun with like six players big oh, scenario yeah. you know six different formations you've got these three ships i've got three three ships you know and then you know somebody's gonna like cross into the other players yeah it's 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 gonna get fun with more ships i think this this game would shine the crazier it gets yeah well and then initiative matters so much so then if you're breaking up commands it's like and so i played just the dutch and there were a couple times towards the end where you know they're being polite but rex wanted the command first and zach also wanted the command first because then it's like well if you take the command and do that over there that allows him to then the Dutch player to then react. And so, yeah, I, this game absolutely lends itself to multiple commands, multiple players, mm-hmm. not just two players. It's, yeah. It's very good for that. And that's, that's, I didn't get to play it that way, but I can definitely see that being the best way to play this. It, yeah. Yeah. It's not a very, uh, challenging game by, by any means. Yeah. I think your near beer and pencils is, is accurate. I want to bring up the, the concept of wind, that I'm completely stealing this from Rex when, so you're playing a naval game. It's a blue map and (laughs) sometimes there's shallow waters. Rex had this comment that the wind is the terrain. And I just thought, damn, that is brilliant. Yeah. Because it is everything in this game. Yeah. And you can see that. Like I said, this one reminded me so much of captain C, but captain C I think shows that even better because in captain Mm -hmm. C, if the two ships are relatively the same and the wind is the same direction, the two ships don't move because right. all that matters is their relative distance. You don't need to move them around the map if they're both going to stay in the same position. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah. 
it's uh it's a it's a novel concept but it it is the fact that you have this just rotating wind force that yeah. that makes up makes a very blue map interesting yeah and doctrine yeah. matters in this because of the wind so you know if you're the french you're going to get a bonus for trying to shoot the rigging and if the wind mm-hmm. is coming from your enemy to you you know you think about it, it's going to push your sails and push your your guns up so that's also going to give you a bonus on the rigging so if you're a french you want to be downwind if you're the british for the exact opposite reason you want to be upwind because the mm-hmm. wind and your doctrine are going to work together to help you hit the hulls of the enemy ships yeah yeah it's to borrow from mike again it's it's a game of mass mastering your wind as much as it is fighting your opponent like you're fighting the wind just as much as you're fighting the opponent um at all times basically just for those shot calculations and and movement which is which is so crucial and like you said it's a little thing but the fact that you have to use all your movement points is that's a very important but minor detail right yeah yeah i really i really liked this and i'm not a i'm not a big naval guy now it is what it is, right? You you run some ships across a map and you blow each other up. And what's weird is the the one thing that's kind of missing from this game, and I guess this would be my biggest critique, is why did I well, like I don't the scenario objectives are usually okay. The Dutch are trying to run away, yeah, because they know they're going to be outgunned, and so then you're just trying to blow each other up to accumulate victory points until you trigger the end game or you you leave the map or or whatever and that's so the scenarios are basically ready set fight go Mm -hmm. and that leaves it a little bit like eh. what i would really like is tying this to some other kind of strategic game this is what i brought up like it'd be so cool to have a flying colors game that also then you're looking at like a strategic map of the mediterranean and somehow like having consequences to these naval battles which I, that's that's like an entirely different game so yeah. it's not a fair critique but the the scenarios just kind of felt like yeah. all right fight and, and see what happens protect the merchant ships you know yeah yeah merchant right. ships are on the other side you have to stay between them and the enemy they're trying to sink those merchant ships or or troop ships even better you well that's know, why your job is to stop that from happening that's why atlantic chase was when that clicked for me that especially playing the campaign of atlantic chase it's you don't have to go out there and sink everything and fight everything. You just need to go out there and cause some chaos and do what you need to do because there's a bigger fight to be had. Yeah. You know, there's there's more important things to target than your your carrier or whatever, and that's not carriers aren't really part of Atlantic Chase, but you get what I'm saying. Like there's there's things to be done for the bigger picture. Whereas here there is no bigger picture. Yeah. Because whether you lose as the Dutch or is or you spend your whole game running away doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things it just matters on your day so obviously i'm gonna yeah i'm gonna fight so so when i said it wasn't i didn't like it as much as i thought i would i thought it was going to be uh a deeper game um Mm. i thought it was going to be more close action ish or something like that that's not what it is that's not what it wants to be so i'm not going to criticize it for being what it was never supposed to be it's just it wasn't as it wasn't what i thought it was going to be so you know, it wasn't that. That's all. Nice. Well, um, I would yeah. like to play. I mean, I 
it's not like I'm getting rid of it. I, I like the game. It's, I mean, it's even a game you can teach someone to play pretty quickly because it's oh, not yeah. adept. Um, I don't have, I think I have one of the expansions. I think I've got under the Southern Cross, but I want to play more of it. I want to see how the different ships feel because all I've played is French and British. And like I said, with those two, they, they play differently, their doctrines and, and, you know, match up to where they want to be and how the wind matters. So I want to see what it's like to play a Russian ship or whatever else I've got. I don't have uh, the the American one that's, what, the Serpents of the Seas? Yeah. I don't yep. have that one, but I'd love to get that at some point, too. So what's interesting about, have you opened your, your copy of Under Southern Cross? Um, I think I've looked at it. I haven't. I, I definitely right, so haven't punched it. I'll just I'll just quickly say that I, I grabbed mine in the Cool Stuff, Inc. closeout when they started moving away from board uh-huh. games for like 20 bucks, which is just insane. And I'm so glad I have it. But I init- initially picked that for saturday's game day to just kind of be like all right here's what flying's color does here's what under the southern cross does very lightly differently one one quick caveat before i talk about on the southern cross there is a series set of rules so once you know flying colors you can then dive into the other games Mm -hmm. there is now a standard set of rules for the flying color series and then there's very minimal specific rules for the, the other games like under southern cross so rich there are a total of three um, two hex counters in under Southern Cross, meaning so in Flying Colors, so almost all your ships, ships is what you're saying. Yeah, for the most part. almost okay. all your ships are frigates or whatever. They yeah. take up two hexes, ships of the line, that type of thing. There is one Brazilian, uh, I don't know, like third rate ship. One uh, Spanish and one who is this last color? Portuguese. Everything else is small gunboats or fifth rate ships, sixth rate ships. Uh, things like that. So it's it's very different, and I I want to play it. I want to see it because those little ships are. Uh, I mean, it, just, it changes the game. You you even use your movement and how you pivot. You're not swinging your butt around on every move. It's uh, it's just different. Okay, so, cool. Yeah, very cool. Overall, I really well actually before we do overall, any recommended reading? Um. Well, the one you already talked about the uh, Master and Commander. Mm-hmm. Um. I mean, for flying colors specifically, I don't know. I've read some good books from this era about the American Navy. I was going to say, yeah, like six six frigates frigates and stuff like that. So same series, but technically, technically flying colors is, uh, like you said, there might be a a few others, but it's mostly just French and British. Um, So I don't know. I don't, I don't have anything specific for that except for maybe master and commander, but even that one is really more British and American. He's chasing yeah. an American ship in that one. They they changed it to French in the movie for the American audiences because they didn't want the American ships to be the bad guys. <laughs> well, there's a couple things. Like one, it's an American ship yeah. holding <laughs> Irish guys pretending to be French, and then they yeah. piss off the Spanish, and then that, that like turns into. So it's like everyone's getting. Right. Um, there's a there's a bibliography in the rule book for uh, the flying color stuff. None of those jumped out at me, which is why I did Master Commander. Six frigates came to mind just because to learn more about this period of sailing mm-hmm. is is what I would recommend. But there's nothing that's like that covered ages sail the Mediterranean that jumped out at me. But I'm sure it exists. I'm sure it does. Yeah. Yeah. Just just nothing. All right. Overall, I really like this. I'm gonna just slightly above beer and pretzels. Fleet on fleet action and the fact that we did a 36 ship engagement 
in four hours. And then it came down to a quarter of a victory point difference, which is like how the multi- <laughs> multiplication and division works for who who flees and audacity rating. Like if you are, if you're going against a stronger force with a higher audacity rating, it it helps you out as the weaker force if you're able to dismast or, or sink something, which I caused a fire and then it spread and then it, the ship exploded. And it was yeah. glorious. Yeah, fires are cool because if you uh, if you even if you're not doing that much damage if you get one good roll you can mm-hmm. start a fire and then then they, then, it's then you on. need two more <laughs> roll it's it's like a rare so you have to cause the fire then they have to get a result that would cause a fire to spread yeah even if even if it doesn't spread to something else then if they roll a nine after that and uh, then the ship explodes <laughs> i haven't had a ship explode but i've set them on fire before so i I think it accomplishes exactly what Mike Nagel want, which is fleet on fleet action in his sitting. Whether it's a long sitting or not, that doesn't really matter. And it's just tons of fun. And I think interesting stories emerge on the on the battlefield. Not the battlefield, but on the battle ocean. <laughs> it's and, a battlefield. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's it's good. I, the maneuverability is great. The accidentally exposing yourself to a devastating rake is so maddening, but it's also weirdly satisfying. Like, oh, son of a bitch, that's really going to hurt. And then it hurts. And then you, how can I pivot? And when the yeah. wind when the wind changes, which doesn't always happen, again, you need to roll a zero and then roll to see if the wind changes off that zero, which isn't guaranteed anyways. That That just causes mayhem, right? It's just... It's a very, very fun design with a lot of stripped out chrome, but the right chrome is there to still make it a very fun fleet on fleet game. What about you? Final thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's it's fun. I can, I, I think it's it's approachability is one of the best mm-hmm. uh, selling points for this one for me. I mean, you can you can teach this to someone in like five minutes. You know, they may not understand all the intricacies, especially when you get into a few of the edge cases. But when you, you see, you know, six or eight or 10 or 12 ships lined up on the map, you know, you can you can point to them and say, OK, you know, <laughs> go. <laughs> yeah, right. And they're going to move this ship and shoot at this ship. And you look up a couple of tables and they'll they'll jump into it pretty quickly. Yeah, it's 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 good. Good stuff. It's yeah. yes. Approachability is is very important. A, a very big selling point of this game. Yeah. Rich, shall we rank it? We shall. All we right. have a list, a list of every war game ever made ranked from best to worst. And we're going to rank this one right now. We have 72 games on our list and this is going to be number 73. Here's how it works. Our ranking is completely objective. Rich and I merely fire up the clay wheel, spritz on some water, dip our hands in water. I'm currently the pressing the pedal to get the, the thing Both going. Both in, in unison. We're pressing it together. And uh, one of us puts on a blindfold. Both of us, we put our hands out, and we merely shape the clay that molds the list into what it is. So, Rich, we have some naval games on our list we do we have second fleet and we have atlantic chase i think this is war oh yeah well okay (laughs) fair i think this is below both second fleet and atlantic chase yeah so we also have captain c which we've already talked about i mean captain c is number 51 i think this is more my speed (sighs) i think oh this is kind of tricky Captain C has more, maybe more interesting things going on, 
with with just the management yeah. of resources. There's no real resources to manage here other than your ships. Um, but in, in fun factor, I think this takes the cake over Captain Sea. What yeah, do you think? Yeah, I mean, for one, if if obviously if if all you want is one on one, then Captain C does that better. If you want to have fleets the fleets then captain c does not do that at all so -hmm. they're very different games in that respect even though they are obviously similar um i i like this one better than captain c so i think i would put captain c as sort of the floor of where we want to go i know i have a spot for this i know we're going to jump up a little bit this is just above spqr or probably even above battle him uh battle him would be an interesting comparison but below men of iron yeah, interesting. Yeah, I would definitely not go below meta, uh, uh, above Men of Iron. No. So here's the deal. SPQR, I know people really like the Great Battles of History. The problem there is you, you're basically doing the same thing, right? Like, you have yeah. you have an open battlefield. Charge. <laughs> yeah, you charge. Smash into but each there's, other. <laughs> there's not a lot of constraints. There's no wind factor in SPQR. But SPQR doesn't drop the things that bog down naval games right like spqr still has all the fiddliness that makes it not the game i want to play uh so for me this is better than spqr which which you know that puts it to things above washington's crossing labyrinth wilderness war Ooh. yeah we've got a weird looking sculpture at this point (laughs) i mean (laughs) i'm looking at labyrinth war on terror at 45 and i'm not crazy about that game but i think that's a better game than this one that's probably fair yeah (laughs) fun factor and good game make it uh look weird at points yeah we only need one of those appendages rich so yeah i mean 36 men of iron tripack that's That's i would say that's a hard hard ceiling or whatever and then i think we both agree that it's better than 51 captain c so we're looking in that area but there's a lot of games in that area like I mean, I would say Brotherhood and Unity. Fun factor for those two is probably about the same for me. I didn't enjoy Wilderness War at 43. I don't know if it shoots above Wilderness War, but it weirdly shoots above SPQR. Yeah. For, for, <laughs> but here's the deal. I also acknowledge SPQR is probably a better design. Yeah. And I think Washington's Crossing is a better game, but maybe not as fun. Mm. okay so to me then it's sounding like it's not getting above 45 that it's below 45 which is wilderness war yeah i would no sorry labyrinth that's labyrinth that's labyrinth yeah volco is the the hurdle in the 40s yeah in fact i think that might be the spot for it i think i might put it at 46 between labyrinth and washington's crossing now i liked washington's crossing quite a bit more than you yeah and I liked it, um, and it was a good game. I just, and obviously it's, you know, 40 spots mm. below, but when I played Washington's Crossing, I just wanted to play GBACW, or GCACW instead. I'll put it above, just for the, I'll put it at 46. Between Labyrinth Ward and Washington's Crossing, I will concede that there's, especially if you get the Deluxe Edition, there's just, there's also a value factor here. 45 scenarios, even if you mm-hmm. get an older one, 18 scenarios, modern, like you can get the modern rules and, and the charts and stuff. They kind of clean everything up off GMT's website. Uh, yeah, I think number 46 is a great spot if it had some meaning to the scenario conditions. Then I would be a little, I would bump this up more. But I think with with that kind of hindrance in place, I or hiccup I have with it, I think 46 is good. All right, mine's also got 
This is probably from C3i, although I'm not sure. I bought my copy used, and it's got the uh, Trafalgar campaign in there too. So that is the ship. I think that comes in the ship of the line. Oh, yeah. I think. Oh, that is I, C3i. Yeah. Yeah, that's the C3i now. thing. Yep. There we go. Forty-six. Very respectable. Nothing wrong with forty-six. Anything in the forties is fantastic. Yeah. And well, I mean, Captain C at fifty-two. If that's our floor, we both really like Captain C. Oh yeah. Top fifty. We still have an incredibly top-heavy list, and now we have ranked 73 games. Zeppelin Raider, 73. How many more games do we have to rank, Rich? Well, we have a choice. We can either do 73 more games, or we can stop if we both play every game that either of us owns. That's not going to happen. So we'll do 73 more, and I'll tell you what the next one is going to be. Have they Are voted? you ready? They have voted. Nice. So we have changed we have changed the voting. Rich and I used to stump. Now we have pivoted to pre-episode voting open to our patrons. You can go to patreon.com slash history table if you want to participate in our votes. Rich and I pick a game and then we pad out the poll with some other games. Rich, you picked what'd you pick this month? I don't oh. remember. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do, because I was like, oh man, if we play this, I'm game. And we picked you picked downtown. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Which is barely lost. So good. I picked Napoleon's Triumph. Okay. Also one of them. No. Triumph of Marengo. I, I picked Triumph of Marengo. Yeah. Which also just barely lost. <laughs> and then I was like, you know what game series is pretty solid but doesn't get enough love? I'll just throw it on here. Our winner this month for November, the featured game in November, will be Battles of the American Revolution Tri-Pack from GMT Games. Ooh, okay. That'll be fun. Interesting, yeah. I've looked at Battles of the American Revolution a little bit. I haven't... Haven't played much, and I haven't played the tri-pack at all. So, yeah, that'll be good. I think if you have not played and just looked at it a little bit, I anticipate that you will find a a similar reaction in that you will find it more approachable than what you thought. Meaning it's it's not as light as Flying Colors, but when I sat down to play Battles of the American Revolution, it's like, oh, boy, what am I getting into? And then it's like it's very approachable. So I'm looking forward to getting back to it and then uh, really – diving in all three games over the next month so right. another tri-pack which will be good yeah there you go so value. yeah if you want to vote go follow the link down in the show notes we probably won't have a featured game for december but i'm sure by the time january rolls around unless rich and i use a uh, host fiat we'll be back in action for that but november battle of the american revolution gmt games speaking of patrons i'm gonna reach into our little patron mailbag reach into the sack here you ready? I'm ready. I love this. I love this question, by the way. We had we had lots of good questions this month, but I feel like we only had time for one, so I picked one. Patrick asks, if you can combine two games, mechanics, theme, playtime, complexity, whatever, what two games would you combine? For Patrick, he would love to see a game that combined the simplicity of mechanics but depth of men of iron applied to ancients. So something a little bit easier than Great Battles of History and also easier than simple Great Battles of History, which isn't that much more simple. Uh, it would be Patrick's dream combination. Do you have one? Yes, I do. So one of the games, one of the um, mechanics that I really like is Fog of War. Um, and not just your enemy's Fog of War, but your own Fog of War. So there's a game um, by Greg Blanchett called... Oh, what's it called? Barlev? It's a Karkov game. No, no, that's a different guy. That's Chris Fawcett. Oh. Oh, um, yeah. But in any case, the mechanic that I like is you don't know how good your troops are until they get into battle. So you mm. have a range. So like you know that these guys are A-level troops. But 
you're going to pull a chit for them. They might be 12, they might be 10, they might be 8. These guys are C-level troops. They might be 8, they might be 6, they might be 4. You know, just throwing out numbers there. So, it, But you don't know how good they are until they actually start to fight. Um, I like that mechanic. And I was thinking about, I mean, I could. I would like to add that mechanic to a lot of different games, but what I would really like to add it to is Next War. Oh, nice. I think I think next That's war good. would be really good if you did not know how good your troops were till they started to fight. So, Mitch, get on that. <laughs> that's that's great. Uh, just I I did some googling. It's Kharkov battles before and after Fall Plow. Yeah, that's is it. a great that's point. It, yeah. Nice. I there's like a million things I want to combine. Also, there's a side note. Do you remember the game that like you flip the counter like a coin to figure out which side it landed on to determine their combat effect? No, I've never heard of yeah, that. I, That's hilarious. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> there's better ways. I'd be so. chasing it under the table like three right. times out of four. <laughs> Look, I like the idea, but like you don't have to have a gimmick for gimmick's yeah. sake. Like, let's gonna get real old real quick. I used to just like reach in a bag and pull it out whatever side, but. I don't know. I rolled my eyes heavily at that. Okay, I'm stalling for time because I don't have the best answer. It's it's obviously the strategic aspects of the U.S. Civil War, and I thought about well, I could like piss off a lot of people and just say, well, I want the U.S. Civil War, but the leader schedule of the Civil War, meaning it doesn't follow a so not to have them die at appointed times. Right, right. Like yeah. you have to go send them into battle for them to rank up. But then I, so then it's like, okay, what do what. I would want the U.S. Civil War system for like a, and I I briefly talked about this, but like a, a fantasy game. Uh huh. I think it'd be really cool. Like your leaders are the things that give them like fantasy powers, but then you just have like your SPs are orcs and elves and treants or whatever. But then like your commanders then give them special powers, but like at a strategic scale. Yeah. Um, what was that game I played at AACCon a few years ago? It was a fantasy strategy game. Um, you played, uh, Dragon Pass, I believe, or... No, it wasn't that Okay, one. Divine Right? Might have been Divine Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Divine Right's a fantastic game, but it's the sh- literally shittiest of designers. That, it was definitely that game then, because yeah. we were talking about how the game needed to be bought and redeveloped and improved, but the designer was an ass. <laughs> yeah. Is an ass in so many different ra- yeah. <laughs> ways, and then just I think refuses to relinquish the rights. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then I think it's funny, like applying taking the flying colors combat, meaning simplified fleet to fleet, and you'd have to shorten it. You'd have to shorten it, and then combining it with some kind of grand strategic game in the time period, and those might exist. Rex mentioned that there's like a red sash game that kind of does that, but a strategic game based on the age of sale. Maybe that exists out there, but I want to hear it if it does. The other game, and this might be even too simple an answer for this question, but uh, the fleet series with modern navies, that's a game that I would buy in a heartbeat. Oh yeah. I would love to, you know, have, uh, have the, the U S and the Chinese Navy be able to, to play that game in the Pacific. I'd play the shit out of that. You're right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so good. I was, you know, I'm working on my top 20 list, and it should be of no surprise that Fleet ranks somewhere near that. Yeah. I won't spoil it, but you know, it's 15th on our list, so it's got to be pretty high. But as I was reflecting back on it, it's just like, man, those big Fleet scenarios are dope, and they are awesome, 
and they have purpose in your objectives. They even like you know they direct you to do certain things. It's not just go out and fight and yeah, fleets. Ah, fleets good. Okay, folks, that we're at the point of the show now where we push push all the all the little naval counters off our table. We sweep the maps off. <laughs> And everything related to history is off the table. We don't even have a GMT update or anything to talk about. I will just mention that the battle for Sicily is back on the P500 list and hot diggity dog. At some point, that will be my hot-blooded for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like a playable monster just covering the battle of Sicily. Right. And it's got hypotheticals with like alternate landings and shit like that. An alternate uh, initial German deployment. Like you can set up where you want on the island. I'm here for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And it's already because it was already once on the P500 list, and now that the game is done, it's already cleared. It's like already 750 people were there the moment they turned it back on. So it's hopefully we see it within 2024. That'd be really cool. All right, now is when we talk about all the other stuff, and I think it's only appropriate that we wind down spooky season as we yeah. post this just before Halloween. Yeah, maybe this will release on Halloween. You can all listen to it while you're handing out candy to the little kids in your neighborhood. <laughs> so, did you get to anything spooky over the yeah, last Yeah, I month? actually, I, I read one book, um, and then I actually started a couple others on Audible and just kind of quickly realized I wasn't really into those two. So I won't talk about those two. But the one I read that was pretty good was The Grand Hotel by Scott Kenamore. Have you read this one? No, not at all. It's interesting. Um, it's... it's um. It's got this kind of creepy guy that's giving these people a tour of this creepy hotel. And every room they go into, there's a different little vignette. And then you start to realize that there's a common theme over the course of it. And by the end of it, you realize what the purpose of the whole thing was. So Mm. it's pretty good. Um, And the guy that read it on Audible, if you listen to it, was good with creepy voices. So it was enjoyable. um, And I would recommend it. It wasn't. It wasn't like super scary. It wasn't like bloody or anything. Nothing, you know, it's not a movie, so it probably doesn't really matter. But wasn't it wasn't horror. It was more just kind of creepy and spooky, but it was good. Okay, good. Uh, I continued. It was a very successful spooky season for me this year. <laughs> I finished uh, Nosferatu. Yeah. Which is a Joe Hill book. It's extremely popular. I think one of the like, most read you know, kind of mass audience horror books. I it's it, it's a weird book. I the overall premise I hate it. So stupid. This whole concept of and it's it's the it's the premise of the book. Like if you read the back of the book. And it's also been out for a long time, so I guess very brief spoilers for Nosferatu. Of like this guy that can take people to Christmas land and do like you assume like vampires things because it's NOS 4A2 on a license plate, which obviously spells Nosferatu, which is (laughs) is a vampire. Yeah. So, like, I hated the premise. (laughs) This idea of, like, this make-believe land that this guy could, you know, take kids to, and then there's one, you know, one person that can can stop them, and it's their their showdown. That's the premise of the book, right? I hate that. It's dumb. But damn it, I couldn't put this book down. It was very well written. It was very entertaining. It was it was creepy at times, but I the whole time I just couldn't help think like, I love this, but also I hate this, and I don't care because the premise is so dumb. <laughs> it's just like a bad Stephen King premise, and like there's a lot of Stephen King books that don't appeal to me because of the premise. Yeah. So, 
I don't know if that makes sense. That being said, it was good. I read it. I couldn't put it down, but overall plot stupid. Yeah. Speaking yeah, of stupid plots, I mean, plots, I haven't find oh, anything you know in the sort of creepy horror genre. Nothing that I like nearly as much as Between Two Fires, which I read earlier in the year. I think I can't remember when I read it, but that was so good that I wish I had read it this month. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's a fantastic one. We did watch a couple of movies. I'll just mention them real quick because they were wild. Uh, one was Malignant. Have you seen that? I've not seen that one. No. So Malignant is it's not a lot of jump scares. It does have uh, like a lot of like saw esque violence, not to like gross you out, but like bones pop out of bodies and stuff. So don't don't watch it with your yeah. your youngest. But it makes fun of in a very entertaining way a lot of horror movies. Um, and so it, it takes itself serious, but like our friend put it the best way. It feels like a lifetime movie for the whole thing. <laughs> and it was, it was, it was actually like, I wouldn't say it was like very good, but it was good. It was, it was solid. It wasn't very scary. Uh, it was, it was interesting and weird and I laughed a lot and that was malignant. And then we followed that up with barbarian. Have you watched this? No. Okay. So barbarian is about a weird encounter at an Airbnb. Okay. And it just took so many pivots. It pivoted in so many different directions that the whole time I was just like, what the fuck? It had a few jump scares, uh, but also there was times in that one where I just like couldn't help but laughed. Huh. Um, and it's got uh, Justin Long in it. Um, okay. And he, he does a great job. Uh, he's in the new Goosebumps show as well, which we've enjoyed. Speaking of spooky stuff, but that was kind of like the the big finale on our, our spooky season. We had some friends over to watch spooky stuff, and we watched those two movies. And I don't regret it. It's nothing like Hill House or or the Flanagan stuff we've talked about in the past. Have uh, you started watching Usher yet? I've not because I haven't heard the friends the friends we watch creepy stuff with. They said they watched it and then like kind of almost immediately forgot about it. Oh wow, okay. We watched a couple things. I we actually watched Exorcist last week, which I had not seen in you know, thirty years, and I had forgotten what uh, that was a mistake to show the fourteen year old. Even oh she was gosh, like, what yeah. the hell, Dad? <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, well, that's a good, that's a good spooky season then. Yeah. Well, I don't. Yeah, I don't have anything else to add to spooky season. Again, it was very. If you just listen to the last two months, it's very successful, and. It's good, good fall stuff, and I'm. Anyways, we have other stuff to talk about, so I'll get to that. Yeah, our hockey eliminator league got disrupted majorly <laughs> this last week. So we do a little league where it's an elim- eliminator league, meaning you pick a team to win each Saturday in the NHL season. You just can't pick the same team twice. So if you pick Golden Knight in Week One, you can't ever use them again. This past week, so if we lost... someone makes it thirty-one or however many teams there are. 32 yeah 32 if if someone makes it 32 weeks i guess if two people make it 32 weeks it's never gonna happen but then do they get to reset i guess <laughs> not like but it's like, gonna happen yeah if, if you are able to do that then like go to vegas yeah <laughs> uh so i just we're down to three yeah we're down to three after three weeks which you, you and i are still both in it right yeah it's you me and andrew wow. who picked the islanders so I took Boston this week. You took, uh, took Vegas, Vegas, who barely week, yeah. won, by yeah. the way. They almost lost. Well, I, had a, I was Islanders. barely last week, too, with... Oh, the Stars? Yeah, the yeah, Stars. Yeah, the Stars barely last yeah, the week, The Stars too. are good this year. 
Yeah, Vegas is once again just setting all kinds of records. Yeah. It's kind of crazy how good they are this year. Yeah. I mean, they haven't lost yet, have they? I think they're like... Unless they played um, on Saturday night, uh, I don't believe Oh, no, because so. they picked it? them Saturday night and they won. Oh, yeah, duh. Yeah, so like a team's never done that. A team has never gone 5-0. and no, they lost. Uh, they lost Friday. They lost Friday oh, they? to the okay. Blackhawks of all the teams. They lost Friday. Yeah. Then they almost lost to the Kings. Okay. Uh, but a, a a team has never won the Stanley Cup and then bounced back and went like four and zero. Right. And they went nine and zero. Yeah. Now the West is awful, <laughs> but still impressive. Yeah. So I remember last year. Last year there was like one week where we lost half our players, including half our teams, including me. Um, yeah. But I think that felt like maybe like week four or five or something. This yeah. this year, it's at the end of week three, we're we're down to three. <laughs> yeah, right. It was, last year, I was out on week one because I got cute with like, oh yeah, the Coyotes will win, or the, I think I picked the Sharks of all teams. But well, last last week I took the the Coyotes. I was like, well, I'm gonna get them out of the way. But then I got. Anyways, it's been fun. If you want to participate next year, I highly encourage it. We have some new hockey fans. Paul has now sworn his allegiance to the. Canadians. Well, of, I think I think I think Paul lost this weekend, so I think he's done with hockey again. <laughs> he's retired from hockey. Well, until until next until year, Paul. Next year and everyone else. Yeah, it, it's fun, and sometimes there's prizes, sometimes we're not. <laughs> we'll see what kind of mood I'm in. Oh, we also have to crown a winner for the Wilderness War tournament. Did uh, which Paul ever play his game? I made them both lose. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> so congratulations to Wu Young, who has won the first ever, first annual, but not annual because yeah, it's never going to happen say, when again. When did that start? Uh, I got to scroll up along. 2022. July of 2022. Okay, so, so good, what, 15 months? Yeah, 15 months for like eight people to play Wilderness <laughs> War and Rally the Troops. Like you didn't even have to have a vassal module. Uh, so congratulations to Wu Young. He wins a, a beer glass that I will be sending to him. And it was an experience, and we did it, and I don't think I'll ever mess around with that again. Yeah, nice. But congratulations. All right, one other thing I, I want to bring up, and then if you have anything to bring up, is I've been playing a lot of simulation games again. Oh, like, like Train, Train Sim. Sim and Farm Sim and those? Yeah, it's been fun. Like, and I I did Farm Sim, and I've done some Derail Valley streams, which a lot of people have stopped by for from the Discord. That's been a lot of fun. That's just like another. Yeah. It's a train sim game with progression. That's, I think that's I saw derailed. one of your train sim videos where you spent about ten minutes trying to turn the engine on, and I thought this is not really for me. <laughs> <laughs> See, but at the same time, that is totally. For <laughs> you were going back and forth between the cab and the like yeah. the little engine room or whatever. <laughs> As one does when things don't start, Rich. It's a simulation. <laughs> so the one in particular I wanted to bring up is Carrier Command. Okay, and so the, the, when you said simulations, that's where I thought you were going, and I did want to talk about computer yeah. war games. There's actually there's actually two games that I that I think I want to get a group for. One is Star Trek Bridge Crew, which you can play up to five people, okay. and you do you do a bridge crew, and you get into combat, and you have you know you have someone doing weapons, and you have comms and whatever. Played that with Art once. That was fantastic. I want to do that, but. Um, carrier command i played around with today it is like a blend of a simulation where you're piloting a carrier or you're piloting these little atvs it's kind of like futuristic or very futuristic combat but it's also like an rts you capture these islands and then that island can produce the shells for your helicopters so then you have to like run uh supply carriers 
um, supply vessels to bring a, the helicopters to your carrier. I don't know why a helicopter couldn't fly to your carrier, but I won't tackle that. Um, so it's like half, it's a blend of RTS and it's a blend of simulation, but the kicker here is you can do multiplayer. And so you can have someone manning the, the, the carrier guns. You can have someone b- piloting it. You can have someone, I think you can even do multiple uh, carriers. It's yeah. very fun. I really like it. I've just played solo, but I think there's going to be an effort to get with Hector and Nate and the previously mentioned Mike to do some multiplayer. And anyone on the Discord is welcome if we're able to get it uh, to play some Carrier Command. It's a VR game, but it has a non-VR mode that works perfectly fine. Okay. Yeah, a lot of these computer war games look really interesting to me. Some of them I get tempted by, and some of them I think, nah, that's... I don't know. Every time I play a computer war game, it's just... I don't know. And I'm not sure what it is, but it's something about it. I haven't found one that like really meets my expectations. So, but I'm always so, curious about them. I keep them on my wish list and I look at them and some, some of them I've bought and played a little bit like command modern operations. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's fun. It's got some good stuff in there, but eh, there's something about it that just is never doesn't quite scratch the itch. I'm hoping to scratch. I think a lot of it sometimes for me is just the learning curve. Like yeah. Hearts of Iron looks so good, right? That's the thing that kicks off. That's the game that kicks off in World War II, but you can be yep. any country. I've played a decent amount of that one. It's just like so much involved. And same, like Crusader Kings, fantastic and amazing yeah. stories, but the learning curve. The one I spent the most time with that isn't like Hearts of Iron or things like that is Ultimate General. And even that, um, and I did Ultimate General Civil War. Yeah, I think I played that one. And even then, I never grasped it. Although, I just saw when I looked that up that they have Ultimate Admiral Age of Sail. Which is, even though I know the learning curve will be high and I won't stick with it, is very tempting to me right now. Because yeah. it looks like this US, like the US-6 frigates are in it and everything. Uh, I'm looking at my wish list now to see, to remember these games that looked good enough to at least throw on the wish list. Well, then they usually get good reviews, but then yeah. those good reviews are people that dedicate, you know, right. 20, 50, hundreds of hours, whatever, into them. And that's like, that's kind of like what, uh, Train Sim World's easy to pick up, but a lot of these sim games do reward deeper play, like uh, uh, Farm Simulator, right? Is, you think, how boring is that? But then it's, it's Farm Simulator is what you make of it. If you just want like an easy, like you go mow grass, then yeah, it can be that. <laughs> but it can also be like... You start off with almost no money and you want to like role play as this farmer that builds up from rags to riches or you want to make a vineyard or so like you and you can make it as challenging as you want with snow and you got to de-stone and de-weed your fields or whatever. Or you can turn all that stuff off and just drive big tractors, which is really cool. And so they reward if you're interested, they reward the deeper exploration of those games. Yeah. Um, and I feel like a lot of the war. I don't know if war games are the same thing. Are war games just complex to be complex, and do they reward anything? I don't know, because I've never dedicated the time to those. Hmm. Yeah. I think a lot of the war game thing that in some of the... I mean, I'd love to play some... Like, Civilization is... Sure. You know, I've played... God, who knows? I mean, Steam could tell me how many thousands of hours I put into that game. I have never played a game multiplayer. So a lot of this is just a way to scratch the, the gaming itch in general... And like I was sort of joking about earlier, I feel like I'm, I'm mostly solitaire now. Like uh-huh. almost all the games I play, I've except for Here I Stand and except for KC Fest, 
Like I have not played a game, a, definitely not a war game, except for Magic the Gathering with my daughter. You know, we I haven't really played a game face to face with a person in several months. So, um, I guess my other daughter. I don't know. There's very few exceptions, but it's. I'm just. My point is, I'm not. I don't have the gaming time that I used to have. So just trying to find other ways to do that. And computer games seem like they would scratch the itch. And sure. sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Of course. Yeah, but yeah, if there's, there's some of those games. I mean, they play solitaire and they play multiplayer. So I've right. never played Civ against another person. I don't know that I would necessarily want to. But some of the, the actual war games, I think, would be fun to play against another person. I mean, at that point, it's not that much different from playing on rally the troops or something. Um, it's, it's really just a matter of how much automation and how much mm-hmm. rules enforcing the, uh, the computer is doing for you. Right. Right. Well, good. If you, if you get the bug and you see carrier command on sale or something, I think it, I think it'd be really cool to, I don't know. I love the idea of everyone having their designated position. So maybe the Star Trek game is more of the game of what I'm looking for. Yeah. But there's at least there's an interest for a carrier command. And so I fired it up and I'm like, oh, this is good. And then I ran my whole carrier ground and I'm like, all right, I need to restart my campaign because I have don't know how to get off this island. <laughs> <laughs> like my carrier is on the island, not not my buggies <laughs> or things that I attack the island with. Like the whole ship is there. And I um, I don't think you're supposed to do that. And then I was moving. I was like trying to have a helicopter like come back to my carrier, and then it just like crash into the flight deck. And I'm like, cool, I, that's <laughs> all right. I'm doing something wrong. Anyways, uh, anything else, Rich? Mm, no, nothing else for me. I know we're looking at uh, getting another Lake Viking gig get date going, but that's not for a while. You gonna do a Here I Stand game between Christmas and New Year's? I gotta, I gotta, I think so. Okay. Uh, I know the the stars are aligning is what i'll say my brother-in-law is traveling into town which means that that's like an easy like hey you should take the family to go uh, on this extra day to go see them mm-hmm. uh, if it's not here i see it it'll be something like that yeah i actually think i'm going to be in kansas city on christmas this year on christmas day i think we're going up on christmas day and spending a day or two or three there i'm not exactly sure to sing or just for fun no well neither for family <laughs> Oh, okay. No, my, uh, so my wife's in-laws have family there. And I think through a series of unfortunate events, I think that's where we're going to end up this year. So, okay. Well, I'm off. If you're there after Christmas, the week after Christmas, I'm off work. Now, obviously you're there for family. So like, obviously that comes first, but anyways, reach out. Yeah, I will. I'll let you know what's going on. Cause last time you reached out, I was sick as a dog. I, yeah. I know you were in Lawrence and there was just, you didn't want to be around me. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. It, it was coming out both <laughs> ends. <laughs> that's Nasty. never fun that's never. your daughter's birthday weekend too isn't it yeah but we had celebrated the week before okay so. good or well no anyway but neither here okay folks that's gonna do it for <laughs> us you don't need to hear about my uh my stomach bug any more than what you've already heard if you have questions or comments for the show or whatever there's links down in the show notes but the best place, as always, is come jump in our Discord. Make sure you get your top 20 enlist by November 17th. And if you want to, go ahead and take the time and fill out the Every Series Ever questionnaire. That's for uh, me, too. Yeah. And the Every Series questionnaire will go pretty quick. Uh, you don't have to rank them or anything like that. You'll When you open it up, you'll see it. If you have any issues with it, let me know. But make sure you get those lists in. 
And yeah, I don't think I'm forgetting anything. And let We're us know uh, about the uh, the big list as well, because you know y- you oh, might yeah. have a point that we didn't think about. December is coming up. Yeah, yeah. There was already a few that as as I was flipping through tonight, it's like, oh yeah, yeah. It's there's some some uh, rough edges that need to be sanded out on our sculpture. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I said, too many of those types of appendages is not anatomically <laughs> correct. So we have to fix that. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us. Good night, everyone.